Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 9, titled New Business. Same as the old business. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, nothing has changed, the wiener, right? the wiener gave us the business. 15-yard penalty. Definitely. What do you think of this episode? I was really not thrilled up until the great furniture heist mm-hmm. of 1970 perpetrated by one Marie Colvier or whatever her name is. I and then it's st- stuff started to get interesting. I I don't and and I personally just hate seeing Don and Diane. Okay. And I you know, there's a lot of gross stuff with Harry and Megan. It I'm sure this will all fit in. I'm not giving up to faith or anything, but mm-hmm. this was more of a struggle to get through than the the last episode or two, or the the last episode yeah. certainly most of last season. But um, again, it's not saying it's bad. I just don't know where we're going with a lot of this stuff. I feel largely the same. I wasn't very invested in Don's plot um, and the Peggy this episode. and Pima and stan thing is is interesting too like yeah, not I mean, interesting I talk, like weird not sure exactly where they're going with that i want to talk about kind of where that fits in this episode i think there are a couple of themes going on here mm-hmm. um and we'll talk about them as we get deeper into it but yeah overall i was not as enamored with this episode as i was the last one i mean running around with megan and marie and her idiot sister who I don't even know about is much less interesting than seeing what Ken's doing in his new job or what um, Joan is up to. Yeah. Uh, The the payoff for her, you know, uh, dress, uh, dress binge Mm -hmm. bombshell. I I don't know. I mean, that's, that's how I feel. Okay. Well, we'll see if we can come around on this one by the end of this podcast. Who made this episode? Uh, Directed by one Michael Uppendahl. Hmm. who has uh, directed 11 episodes of Mad Men. He's also directed for House of Lies, American Horror Story, Ray Donovan, Turn, another AMC show, Walking Dead, Glee, among many others. Uh, is also co-written by Tom Smuts and Matthew Weiner. Come on. Come the on, Smuts, Smuts and, and Weiner. Come on. They're asking us to laugh. It seems like a client that, t- that Don would fire. Smut and we get out of here, you cheap yeah, bastards. Definitely. But he's a co-producer of Mad Men and has written two episodes for the series, as well as an episode for The Good Wife, a few episodes of Law and Order. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So he's felt got like some experience. We were, felt like we were in good hands all around. Yeah. Good. Uh, why don't we get into the recap? Sure. We start off at Castle Francenstein. And Don is in the kitchen making milkshakes for his boys. Uh-huh. And then the worst thing that could possibly happen to humanity happens. Betty decides she is going into psychology. <laughs> I thought before I found he's making margarita or making milkshakes. <laughs> I thought this I walked into an episode of Archer. Like, okay. couldn't you just see him like he's making margaritas and, you know, <laughs> Lana walks in. It's like, what, Lana? It's 40 proof tequila. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what? 
Don is just chilling out at the house, I guess. Yeah, I don't like that. Do you think he came to drop the kids off and found out Betty and uh, Frankenstein weren't there and he decided to hang out and make milkshakes? Was he like the official babysitter? I, th- I felt like he was the official babysitter. Mm. Uh, they were going out to dinner and he decided. I can't see Henry and Betty feeling comfortable with him spending that much time in their home. Yeah, it, it felt a little weird to me, um, but mostly because I don't want to see him there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to see him with his kids, but not there. Sure. Uh, anyway, I... I was horrified when Betty said she's going into psychology because people like to talk to her, apparently. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't know anyone who you does. You know what? I think it will be fascinating for all involved. The <laughs> the dress she's wearing, too. My God. I've seen popped collars. Uh-huh. This is a new level. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not big on the seven, late 60s, early 70s fashion. It's Castle, Castle Frank, uh, Francenstein appropriate. It's something out of a horror show. It is. It really is. Um, and then there's a look that Don gives as he leaves uh, back at his kids, which I thought was interesting. It's it's this sad look, and it's the same same kind of look that Megan gives as she leaves Don's apartment near mm. the end. I don't think it means the exact same thing, but it, it's very similar. I think he's pre-pitting his children with Betty taking a master's degree in psychology. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. It's like, I don't think she'll use her power for good. I also think he's a little envious. Hmm. I think he's a little envious of what, of this perceived life that Betty has now. I mean, you walk in there and it's all roses. Yeah, sure. I mean, he might know Once better. Once get ba- but... past the foreboding, uh, at, you know, exterior with the yeah, vultures the and the trees and all that. But yeah, it, it did seem, but like, uh, and maybe Don doesn't know this, but I feel like once you scratch the... yeah you know, surface of Betty's life that it's, it's probably horrific. Probably. I mean, we last saw her completely destroying Bobby emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that gotten better in the last 10 months? Probably not. Uh, yeah. you know, Henry is, seems like he's sick of her shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of coxmanship over who's serving who a milkshake and all that. I, I don't know. To me, it's like, nah, I mean, maybe, maybe I, I, th- I took it more as Don, Missing his kids. Okay. Because if I know one thing about Don Draper, if he's out whoring and doing all this stuff, he's probably missing more than a few of his scheduled parenting times. Definitely. You know, that, that weekend's primetime pussy season. Yeah. So you gotta, like you gotta get to your priorities straight. So I feel like maybe there's a little tinge of that. Okay. Then we go to Megan. Um, she's calling from California to tell Don that she's coming to get her stuff. Oh, and she also needs money. Right. Uh, we find out here that Don does, in fact, have an answering service that is, like, separate from his job, I sure. guess. Um, it's it's a personal thing that she figured she would get when she called him. Mm-hmm. Hoping to get. I, yeah, hoping, I think. A- right. Anything you want to say about the scene, or should we keep moving? Uh, Don claims his finances are a mess from the McCann deal, which I thought was interesting, because I thought Pete was just kind of shining uh, poor mm-hmm. uh, Ken on last week talking about oh how i'm just hawked up and i gotta get into real estate and tenants and all that but i thought well maybe maybe there are some complications that this wasn't as good as it turned as it seemed to be and it seems like that's the theme with roger like this isn't turning out at all what he expected to be as far as being able to run autonomously and all that yeah but on the other hand he writes megan a check for a million dollars that i presume he doesn't think is going to bounce he was a millionaire before the buyout 
That's what Megan said. Megan yeah. says a lot of a lot of things. I'm not. I think she's right, agreeing with. He's been through a couple of buyouts. Yeah, yeah. He's a a massive majority partner sure. in the the firm. I think he probably no, has a bunch I, of money. I agreed. Agreed. I I think that's that's true too. Okay. I just I I wonder if that'll be a plot point because also Roger tried to caution him against doing just that. Now you know Don and Roger, as despite the similarities, are two different people. Yeah, but with the rest of Roger's prophecy coming true regarding how Megan treated Don at the end, I don't know. I I could see Don having trouble with money, and I don't know that that would be a, a big deal. Like honestly, Don losing his fortune and having to go back to a more modest lifestyle in a less high strung industry might not be the worst thing in the world. Have to yeah, move back for him to personally. Yeah, certainly. He can buy out the whore. He has just enough money left to buy out the old whorehouse. Fix uh, it up. Fix it up. Okay. There you go. Uh, speaking of Roger's troubles, next scene is Meredith and Shirley coming into his office and reading him his schedule and setting up a meeting with someone on the phone. Uh, so there's not a lot of all of the information you get from this scene about what's happening is contextual, I think. Um, just little things that they say and kind of how he's reacting. It seems to me like. Now that McCann Erickson has bought them, he has more secretaries than he can handle, and he is a, a little put off by that. I, uh, Three phones, two secretaries is a line that he says later on. Yeah, I think we're supposed to get the idea that he's overworked by his standards. Yeah. But it didn't feel that way from the secretary's perspective. It almost felt like his secretary was doing this as a power play, like I need a person underneath me. So I'm delegating the dialing of the phone calls. Like I, well, I, it, I, I don't know why because nobody else. So nobody else has two secretaries, right? I, I mean, I don't know that sure. I've seen. Uh, it's, I mean, Don's talking you can't just trust Harry to with Meredith. Two, two secretaries. No, of course can't not. really trust him with one. No, uh, I, I don't know. It's something that just started right after the buyout. Is my impression. I felt like this scene, like a lot of the episode, was kind of a mess, and I didn't understand the motivations that were behind it, but. I did appreciate the fact that he apparently has glommed on to Bert's uh, octopus going down on the fisherman's wife. Uh-huh. That that was cool. If there's one thing that I would adopt from Bert's lifestyle, it's 1800s erotica. Me paintings. not wearing shoes indoors. That's okay. that's A1. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, A, B, or, or 1B would be the fisherman's wife. Yeah. Uh, Harry's waiting in the office um, for Don. To ask him if he should meet with Megan about finding her a new agent, he seems, you know, very, uh, fuck, I can't think of the word. He He's he's trying not to put Don out here. He doesn't want Don to get any false ideas, even though we know what his idea is. Well, yeah, he's trying to pave the way. He's trying to handle Don in a way that won't make him mad, and by trying to handle Don, it's pissing him off. Sure. He also, did you get that he was hitting on Meredith? Like, no. Yeah, talking about flying to L.A. and, you know, you would love it out there. And I know I feel like Harry's is he hitting just, on her. I feel like Harry's trying to put his finger in every pie he can. And it's gross. I'm I'm not going to say no, because that seems like a hairy thing to do. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate you giving me the benefit of the doubt. I just didn't pick up on it. OK. Yeah. Um, Don then gets a phone call from some person named Nicholas. Uh, I'm going to call him Nicholas the Greek because yep. that's what Harry calls him. Apparently so. Um, you know what else I didn't get is this joke, the Manson brothers. I get that it's a reference to how we all think it's kind of a troll, how we all think that 
Megan is going to be murdered by yeah. Charles Manson. That's all that one shit. layer of it, sure. What is the actual joke with Manson brothers? Because there is no brothers. It's I know. like she mashed up the Manson murders and the Smothers brothers because she's Meredith and she's kind of dumb. So she's worrying about... She mashed up the Smothers brothers? That's just completely random and... There is no Manson brothers. I know. The I fact know that. that she is aware that there's a threat out there but doesn't know its correct name is kind of funny. Okay. In a, in a Meredith is kind of dingy kind of way. But it's not a specific reference to anything. No, 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 no. Okay. That's the part I didn't get. I always assume okay. that when Mad Men does a joke like that, they are making That's a specific reference a to something. A safe assumption, but no, yeah. she just is kind of kind of a dingbat. Okay. So Don goes to a restaurant where he has found Diana at her new job. And he gives her his card and he says, hey, call me when you get off work. Everything about this conversation says, Don, leave it alone. She's yeah. you're, she's saying I you're making me feel uncomfortable. Well, no, I do not want you to buy me a drink. No, I do not want your phone number. Uh, I did not, not want you to know where I'm working or living. That's the thing. Not a lot of context here, but I get the impression that she switched jobs because Don was hounding her. Yeah. So I think that's the major thing I don't like about this episode is there is not a lot of context. The fact that I don't know what time this is. I don't know if it's been weeks or days. Um, since the last episode, it's really hard for me to tell what's going on here. The fact that this relationship turned a corner in this episode just seemed bizarre to me. Like, Don, you're smarter than this. I'm glad that she was smart enough to decide how ridiculous it was and end it. But it just, I don't know, man. It did. It's the epitome and, and a very highly focused version of the thing that Don always does. Yeah which throw all of his emotional energy into a particular type of woman and expect it to solve all of his problems. Mm-hmm. He finally found one that wouldn't go along with it. So is that progress? Well, he's found two, right? He found Rachel. I feel like this is a... It has been a tour of Don's failures with women this first two episodes. Well... I mean, you've got you've got Betty there, you've got Rachel, you've got Diana, who is a stand-in for kind of all of them. Okay. Uh, you've got Megan, all, all of these women who Don has just run roughshod over mm-hmm. are all thrown back in his face. Sylvia, I mean... Okay, yeah. You, there, so many a lot of these of, women are coming back. A lot of blasts from the past here, sure. Yeah, so I, I feel like that's one of the big themes here and it goes along with what pete says later on in the uh the car when they're driving to the golf course where he's like um what does he say something about getting beyond the beginning like he wants to run away and start all over but will you ever get past the beginning yeah and i feel like at the very end of this episode when don's walking into his completely empty apartment sure he has no wife he has no fucking furniture right that's his life Stripped down to the very beginning. But also, will Don, he ever get past this? Don Draper's fantasy would literally be to be stuck in the beginning. You know, it's like what you're right. Doctor Faye said think that's so wrong, yeah. so long ago that you only like the beginnings of things. That yes. is a very true statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that maybe is proving that not true is a relationship with his children. So, if, as much as there is one, yeah. It's, it's it's growing. It's just not it's where it's better it needs than to Betty's. Be. I mean, oh yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. I'm I'm not. You're not wrong about any of that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Don gets no. Sorry, we go to Peggy and Stan. They're arguing about who should work on the ad for their latest account, which is Cinzano Italian Vermouth. 
and Peggy has brought in a woman named Pima, and Stan's a little upset that it's not him. Yeah. He... I feel I get the impression that Stan wants to do great work and is not being allowed to here. Well, also as the art director, the fact that the uh, creative director just made this decision unilaterally, yeah. I think, hurt his ego. And the fact that it's a woman hurt his ego, because unless you've forgotten, yeah. Stan's fairly sexist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, lots of lots of uh, I guess it's funny. Is it is is there any of this or like him and Peggy are just doing this as a kind of a joke? Because there was like a, a little bit of they're going to do. I don't know. You know, him kind of complaining like, hey, I was not left. I was left out of this decision I should have been part of, which is a perfectly valid complaint. But then he continues to bitch and whine impotently rather than being than, than being like, uh, no, seriously, this is a problem. You can't make these decisions without me. Well, he ultimately doesn't have any say, right? Doesn't he? Peggy does have the say. Uh, She's. She's I I get the impression that she is in a higher position than him, certainly in the hierarchy. Yeah, I guess it's like one of those things where is she in her in her rights to make that decision unilaterally? But would it be expected that the creative director, I guess that's Don is the creative. I don't know what the hell their positions and relative are. They co-create. It seems like the a person in that role of the creative management would consult the art director uh, on that. I think she usually does. I think she, in this episode, was looking specifically for a woman. She didn't think that Stan would, A, be open to the idea or have the idea himself, certainly. Hmm. Um, of course, that backfires on her, I think, in the end. Uh, I'm not sure like how all that went down to and what decision, whether that was a sound decision Peggy made, but I guess we can get to that later. Um, I, well, I, I definitely think, you know, Peggy's always had the desire not to be treated like a second class citizen because she's a woman right. and she's earned the respect of a lot of people at this point. Um, even, you know, in the face of clear discrimination. And yeah. I think she's trying to give a leg up to someone who has kind of done the same and has right. made a name in the art world. Uh, she just didn't understand how she made her name. Mm. And she apparently made her name by sleeping her way to the top, which is something that I think Peggy abhors. I I don't know because uh, I assume this was a real person. I don't think apparently it is, it's yeah. not. But mm-hmm. some uh, Molly Lambert on Grantland speculated that she's like an amalgamation of uh, Annie uh, Leibovitz, okay. and uh, I guess one of her long term partners, Susan Sontag. She's got like her mm-hmm. hairstyle and this person's f- kind of photography credits or, or uh, sensibilities, and so she's like a big deal. And I felt yeah. like I got from the introduction that Peggy was clearly uh, impressed with her work and her credentials. So was is Ed, the guy wondering whether his hair should be grown out. Like he had, he had heard of say, him. Like, if I feel you have like... to ask someone else whether or not you should grow your hair out, you shouldn't grow your hair out. <laughs> You're not that kind of person. Uh, I, and I, yeah, I just wonder if, because uh, Stan seemed like he was more threatened than... Like, who the hell is this person? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, again, I, I'm not really sure what all we were supposed to make of this. Because well, I at think the her- end, it seemed like they are trying to make her out to be kind of desperate. And this was seen as a trashy move. But if she's doing this avant-garde, awesome work, and she's in demand, and she's never done commercial work before, then why aren't... Well, so I, I feel like she's in demand in a man's world. And that's how she has become in demand is because she's known she has this reputation 
Well, can you literally sleep your way to the top of the art world? Like, I feel like that. In, I don't know. I'm not in the art world. I but know, but I feel like the artist. Many other places you can. I mean, look at what Harry. So, this is, I think, clearly a theme in this episode with Megan doing, rejecting that completely and uh, Pima being around doing that very thing that Harry suggested. I can't help but see a parallel there but she's also this is the 70s and she's in a bohemian like fucking stan smoking dope in the studio what but then peggy specifically uh, so says i'm not hiring her again because of that but that might be because peggy is fucking uptight about stuff like that but not when you connect it with the idea that she specifically went out and found a woman for this job right I don't but think she you didn't can expect take those her to two make things. a lesbian pass at her that's exactly what I'm saying. She uh-huh. didn't expect that a woman who had a reputation as being a great person in the art world would be doing those things. She assumed that every woman who that has attained that, power has oh. done so the way she did. Oh, now that I can see. That I okay. can see. <laughs> okay. But I'm just saying it seems like very naive to think that a woman in the art world, like I would think that, okay, you're an artist, so you're already kind of bohemian. You're dressing like an outer space or a, a cross-dressing version of David Bowie, which is saying a lot because that's kind of implied with the whole David Bowie deal. Uh-huh. And y- 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 I would just feel like that, yeah, she's probably sexually adventurous. And this is not like – I'm not trying to do to secure uh-huh. my job. I've already done awesome work. I did awesome work before I ever started you know, touching privates, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just interested in having sex with you because that's the type of person I am. And that – put off peggy and you're right there's probably a lot of that about like well that's not what i do that's how i got the might but i don't think that's how she got to the top i just feel like she's like don didn't sleep his way to the top don just sleeps no but look at joan like i mean her relationship with joan is exactly like that yeah it comes on she looks at joan the same way sure I, i can't imagine that that's not what they're trying to say okay uh so that's where i'm going with it all right anyway um diana calls don And he explains how he found her and says that she went home to get a divorce. Uh, She says that. And then Don seizes on that to invite her over for a 3 a.m. drink. Quote, unquote, drink. All that that implies. Yes. And that is, I was going to say unspoken, but it's not even unspoken. When she gets there, Don speaks it. Spoke it right up. Yep. Yep. Um, Because, yeah, Don's on his way out. He thinks he's going to go meet her, but she shows up at his door. So uh, I don't know how that works logistically. That was a really weird. I guess it's like Wiener's like, well, I'm going to throw you a curveball and not even draw attention to it. Don said, I'll pick you up. And then like, was yeah. he going to the door to walk out? It didn't play like that. It played like how does he she know where he lives? Her. Is it on the card? They just cut it off. The f- they He just did it just to do it, man. Yeah, I, I don't know what the logistics are there, but ultimately I don't think I, it I matters. wonder if he's deliberately trying to make us feel unsettled. Coming into it's the worked. next stretch. Yeah, yeah, because I really feel very unsteady as a Mad Men viewer right now. I thought she and was down to little things. Yeah. This whole, re- this whole relationship where, you know, she turned into just like a fairy tale girlfriend. Well, not a fairy tale girlfriend because she's still weird as fuck and all that. But like when <laughs> yeah, she yeah. started sitting on Sally's bed, uh-huh. and like, man, this does feel really Rachel slinking around in the mink coat kind of thing or chinchilla. Excuse me. Yes. Minks for gutter whores. <laughs> Chinchilla. Um, yeah. Where is that? You're not, again, you're not wrong. All right. Um, yeah, so he's headed out. She shows up at his house, and she's impressed by his apartment. And she's already drunk. They end up in bed where Diana can't sleep but doesn't want to leave. 
Um, they talk about marriage and divorce, and she says that she doesn't have any children. She lies to him. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, something that Megan accuses Don of being a liar, an aging something something liar. Oh, it's it's a page out of the liar's handbook, the progressive reveal. Like each yeah. step of me unpeeling the truth is incremental and seems rational from, you know, you can see the shore from this lie. Yeah, yeah. But when you say from the original lie to the truth, it's like, you're pretty far out to sea, lady. Yeah. Like if she's like, uh, yeah, I, my daughter died and then I ran away from my family. On the other hand, Don's like, cool. <laughs> I, I wanted to run away with my family for no damn reason at all five seasons ago. So let's mount up and ride. Who knows? But I yeah. would think her reasonable expectation is Don had run off screaming. Yeah. Um, she's definitely, you know, I, we mentioned this near the top of the show, but she's definitely the type that Don goes after and and magnified. And he finally found a woman who's fucked up worse. And worse has, than Betty. Worse than worse himself. Than, worse than himself. Worse than himself. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's like, you don't Don Draper me, pal. I Don Draper you. I'm the one running away from this relationship. <laughs> Uh, Don wakes up and he finds Diana creeping around in Sally's room. She confesses that she did have a kid and that she died of the flu and then tells him to leave his own house. <laughs> and Don decides not to go into work and leave this woman at home alone. <laughs> you should leave. Uh, it's my house. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because whatever she stole or broke would be gone anyway when he got home. True. Uh, uh, well, actually, that's the next day. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. Conspicuous by our absence is Sally. Especially since we saw mm. the other boys, uh, Bobby and Jean. But her Which bedroom is, was awesome. I why what what's the is it the tigers or the leopards it's, or it's whatever such on the wall? A, awesome mix of little girl chic and this weird technicolored uh, lions and tigers and uh-huh. that's I just loved it, man. I thought it was really a cool room. Yeah, and she has like a. I feel like there's not a lot to say whether or not this is Sally or Bobby's room, um, except for that portrait you, on the wall. You think this is Bobby's room? This is a girl's room, man. How not to be that? all gender normative you know about it, but the is it the tie dye rug? Everything. Is it the red bedspread? That's a teenage girl's room, man. Bobby, no, 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 Bobby would slap you it. and take your sandwich and and trade away your candy if he heard you say that. <laughs> yeah, and then I'd call him a little shit. And you ruined the day. Light up a cigarette, <laughs> blow in his face. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Peggy introduces Pima to Stan, and he's very sarcastic, that Stan, and he leaves. Uh, Pima begins the fucked up vermouth shoot. This is a really weird shoot, yeah? Eyes wide vermouth, man. (laughs) It really is. Uh, I don't know what the capes are about. I don't know what the big black, uh, I don't even know. It's just some weird shape above them. Well, like I said, the woman, the woman dressed is like David Bowie meets Corel DeVille. So she's got uh, an interesting fashion sense that is uh, goes across. And, and who knows? The Italian vermouth people must love it. Yeah. What do you want out of your vermouth commercials? I do, want. Do you want? I want women looking like they're dressed for an Abu Ghraib or Abu Ghraib interrogation. Do? Yeah. Okay. Black hoods. Maybe. Some I mean, I would think wire. you know, like Don swilling a glass or something would work too, but. Okay, a little more avant-garde, yeah. But we don't know what the theme was. You know, maybe it's uh, creep your date out in style. 
That's 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 what you want. That, that is kind of what vermouth it's does. Vermouth. Anyway. It's vermouth. It's vermouth, man. What do you want? You're drinking straight vermouth. You're doing something wrong. Uh, what did oh, wait. Her- Stan says something like, "I'm I'm sure you're not wor- used to working with models who have so many teeth." Yeah, that's where I was going. I couldn't find a goddamn bit of analysis on that, and I'm like, was, "Is this like are they making a little Ann Geds into this, where she's working mostly with babies?" I had no she, idea. Does she work with heroin addicts? I homeless people is she famous for but she's not a real person so i have no idea what her body of work is it yeah. was just a weirdly specific dig that i had no way from context once again lack of context i feel like this episode really lacked any hint of context in yeah, most scenes and that's sure. something that madman toes the line on or not toes the line but walks the line on mm. um i it just went a little too far in yeah. one direction this time yeah it got pretty random yeah Don gets into his office. It's 11.30 a.m., and uh, Meredith takes issue with that. But he goes into his office. Roger's sitting there. Uh, he tells Don they already have a cookie client, but today they have a golf outing with an, or tomorrow they have a golf outing with another cookie client, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to go because Burt Peterson is one of those people. Plus, you're going to have to smooth this over because you there's conflict of interest clauses. Like yes. Nabisco and who was? Peter Pan. Nabisco is the existing company. Peter Pan is a peanut Peter butter Pan. company yes. getting into cookies. Yeah. There's one other reference in here that I was not sure about when I heard it the first time. Mm-hmm. And that is Roger's joke about Marlon Perkins chasing him through the savannah. Sure. Uh, apparently, you knew what this was. I did. I this this show was on the air until like '86. I was right in my prime childhood years, and uh, it was a nature show, and it was Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom, Mutual Omaha, a life insurance company, sure. and involved Marlon Perkins, this old ass guy, sending this younger dude Jim out into the bush to get his uh, testicles ripped off by some kind of dangerous life form. Essentially, yeah. I watched like a twenty minute clip of it. It was pretty ridiculous. Uh huh. You can see how they'd be really wildly entertaining as a child. Yeah. Like a dude trying to stuff a tiger into a burlap sack for no damn good reason. <laughs> uh-huh. Definitely. <laughs> it's an official specimen grabbing bag. Uh, Roger also seems very bitter about divorce. <laughs> really? Very bitter. Really? He's like, yeah, don't let her take you for any money. You gave her a life that she never would have had. Uh, yeah. Roger has a pretty negative view of of the wife position i guess what's weird is like okay and then don's like uh you know well megan's not jane mm-hmm. but then we the wiener did a damned good job at turning megan into jane by the time the episode is over yeah and that's like what roger's saying is like super sexist and self-serving and all that but he's also not entirely wrong like, I don't think Roger fundamentally damaged Jane. She probably got a lot of money. She's still perfectly capable of bearing children. I don't think having sex with Roger takes her stock down in the world much, if at all. Now, maybe I'm looking at that from, like, sure. 21st century millennial eyes. Yeah. But both – but it's weird that they've set – I felt like they've set Jane – you know, Megan to be fairly sympathetic in all this thing. But this whole episode – I, I I don't know, man. Left a bad taste in my mouth. Bad yeah. Megan taste. Yeah, well, there's a line that Megan uses later that at first I thought was a little ridiculous, but then I thought about it a little harder, and it, it doesn't seem to be quite so ridiculous. Well, uh, s- it's it's the line where she basically tells Don that he ruined her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when when they're waiting for their lawyer. I I didn't believe that at first. I was like, what has Don done necessarily to Megan? Sure. But when I thought about it, he did convince her to quit the soap opera job. And and Harry really rubs that in his face when he comes in and he says, the worst thing she ever did was quit that job. Don encouraged her to do that, to quit the job, go to California. But she wanted to go to California. I know, to but, further she, her career. but she was kind of up in the air on it because she had such a good job there on the soap opera. Huh. And then and then when Don and her started getting into fights, she took time off work and she started focusing less on her acting career and all that. And I feel like Don is not totally clean on this. I, and he knows it. And I he guess feels I, it. I thought I remembered that as being the opposite, where Don didn't want her to go out to LA. And but, but in the end, he he does say like, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah, but that, again, I felt like she was in the driver's seat on that. I don't know mm. because again, I felt like a lot of this was, and we were supposed to see that this was some about Don. And of course, you know, she's right to the fact that he was a liar and he did all these things, and you know, for no good reason. Um, but it didn't feel like it was all about Don. It felt like she was just as mad about the Harry situation, about her career about her mother, about her sister. Like, there's plenty for her to be un- unhappy about. Don was just yeah. the easy target willing to take it all. Yeah, I am i don't know. Definitely her mother is a problem. Uh, <laughs> I think that's her pretty sister is a problem. evident here. Her father is a problem. I mean, yeah, her family life is terrible. Yeah, but I, I feel like the one of the big factors was their marriage just not being what she wanted um, at all. And when she went to California, she started kind of freaking out. Like we mm-hmm. saw her going around to producers and like getting in their face and try to win jobs that way. And sure, it just didn't work out for her. And I felt like a lot of that was because of how emotionally uh, problematic their marriage was. And it kind of freaked her out. And And I think she blames Don a lot for that. And I don't think that's misplaced. I think that's largely accurate. Yeah. Yeah. But she's got a million dollars in 1970s money so yeah i felt like don when he apologizes was actually apologizing he always is i know like oh (laughs) yes of course of course i've ruined your life (laughs) damn it can't believe it happened again here's a here's a gesture to show us how sorry yeah that's that's his thing because that's the thing i guess that sets him apart from the pete campbells and the harry cranes of the world is he's a self-aware predator yeah. And he's also very damaged himself. Mm-hmm. And maybe if we got more of Harry and Pete's backstory, uh, we would feel sorry for them as well. Well, I know that many White Castles, I feel sorry for you, period. <laughs> also, it's like I was trying to say in the forums, it's like, I don't know why it feels less creepy when Don does it than the other guys. But And, and someone I can't remember who chimed in with, well, you know, rule... First rule of life is be attractive. Second rule yeah. is don't be unattractive. And... Yeah, he just has more charm. Yeah, at the end of the day, you get used by Don Draper. Well, there was the whole having sex with Don Draper and the money and the cocktails and the furs. Whereas you have sex with Pete, you you're have like, sex I can't with a Harry Crane. what I did. Yeah, you have a sex with Harry Crane, and you just left with the half-eaten bag of White Castles at the end. <laughs> half-eaten? Come on, man. <laughs> you're right. Give the man right. some credit. There might not even be the whole bag left. It's just... <laughs> oh, you mean half of the actual bag <laughs> is eaten. There you go. That's exactly what I meant. Uh, so Pima comes to Stan's office. She wants to get in the dark room with him. Oh, yeah. She tells him that she'll look at his work, and Stan agrees. It seems like Stan is looking for some approval on his work. He certainly was. 
that I'm a little surprised he doesn't feel like he's getting at home. Like, maybe he doesn't respect the opinion that he's getting at home, but it seems oh, exactly. like his girlfriend is fairly loyal to him. Yeah, but and, that that you know that means less than nothing. Like, if someone you think is an idiot tells you you're doing good work... Okay, to Stan, I'm sure, yeah. And I don't think he respects her. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. And, like, the stuff that Pima tells him later about, like, oh, she's not honest, you can see it in her eyes, that, he in just eats scene, that yeah. shit up. Because mm-hmm. that kind of goes into his core conceit that he is... You know, she's just this nurse, and she's this kind of side piece that he, but he's this artist. Sure. You know? Yeah. So Pima, a real artist wanting to see his work, does a lot for him. Right. Megan, yeah, I mean, to reveal Stan is a little bit more up his ass than I would have suspected. Let down a little yeah. bit by the man. Indeed. Still, still a glorious bastard, but. Uh, Megan shows up at a hotel where her sister is waiting. And Megan wants to just get down to the business of this divorce, but her sister convinces her to live it up just a little bit for her. I hate this whole fucking family, man. <laughs> it's easy. Her to, sister yeah. needs to go. Her mom needs to go. The whole thing mm-hmm. was just, you know, her mom is manufacturing all this outrage and grief and getting the whole family spun up. Yeah. And then, you know, when she finally gets the sisters at each other's throat, she's there to be like, don't be the beach. It's like, mm-hmm. man, get the hell out of here. All of you, all of you get out of my mad men. Yeah, no, I don't. Her family is a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, it's not just Dawn who has damaged this woman, Yeah, to be sure. Arnold and Sylvia show up in the elevator where Dawn and Diana are going. Why um, w- was Arnold such an asshole? Well, he's drunk, for one. He is he's drunk. D- apparently drunk, yeah. He is drunk, but he's also being... But I feel like his drunkness kept him from inhibiting the jokes that he would normally make about Dawn sleeping around. And... That's fine, but like... It the, what took it over the top for crassness is Diane standing right there. Yeah. Oh, took home the whole wait the, the whole the restaurant home, and I hope you have the energy. It's like that's not cool. And then from a bro, I don't think he makes that joke if he's not drunk. I would yeah, hope not. I thought he was a little classier than that. Do you yeah. think it's possible that he knows somehow that his wife and Don hooked up, and he's deliberately being disrespectful, but in a way that you could easily? Mm. I more believe that because I feel like. Arnold is smarter and savvier than that. And cla- so. that would maybe that's so. a classy way of taking the horn someone's given into you and like shoving up their ass. And I, I, I but I, there's no yeah. context or proof other than, mm. you know, Sylvia was feeling uncomfortable, but then I would feel uncomfortable with Don after the way they ended things anyway. Mm-hmm. So very little evidence, but I, I choose to believe that he was, paying Don back a little bit for fucking his wife than I do that he was just turned into a sodden louse. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, Stan's looking over his work Question, at home. what did Don mean when he says that's not what this that was about? Uh, I think he meant he was insulting you. Like, she didn't necessarily take it as an insult. Okay, so he was <laughs> lying to her to make her feel better? No, because... I think he was telling her that that guy's an asshole. <laughs> huh, okay, all right. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I misread that, but that's because it's like him trying to say that's not what this is about. No, Don, totally, Don. You fuck a lot of dudes. That's what exactly the subtext of all this. I mean, it could have been about Sylvia. You fuck and, a lot of if, whores if by extension. Right. Diana's a whore. She's sure. a cocktail waitress. She works at beef and boards. Whatever. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. You're a man whore. But but if if he thinks that Arnold does know about he him and Sylvia then that's not what this was about could mean that it's about his wife that's the other it's thing. not about you it's about his wife that's the other thing What's, so that's a weird thing to say to your potential date to it's it's, it's, it's not about completely you. out of context i fucked like his episode. wife 
And my daughter walked in. It was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to repeat of that. Mm. Uh, Stan's looking over his work at home in bed. He is feeling less than successful. And his girlfriend tries to cheer him up with an impromptu photo shoot. That's pretty much the, the extent of that scene. Solid you know? strategy. Solid strategy. Yeah. Hot red, red-headed nurse. Sure. We go back to Don's apartment, and he tells Diana that he wants to see how she lives. She says, oh, I'm having chest pains, or something <laughs> like that. Get uh, Arnold! Get Arnold! <laughs> <laughs> and then they make out. Yeah. What do you make of the, the twinge in my chest? She's falling for Don. Thing. <laughs> is she? She's falling for the idea of Don. I know. Yeah. No, totally she is. That's what she's wanting to pump but the But he brakes. asks her, like... I don't know. He asked her a couple things, and I, I didn't... I thought he was trying like, to steer... I, maybe I wanted to believe that it was something more subtle than that. Well, and at I this point, I don't know. Because I thought Don was a little, getting a little scared about how needy she was turning into. And he's like, oh, man, I just wanted this one thing that's turning into the other. But then he seemed all about it. Yeah, I don't know, does. man. Again, I was still like, is this a dream? Is this real life? Have I yeah. seen Don at the office yet? No, he did go in the office, so he's not totally asleep. I, yeah, it's really weird. Uh, the next morning, Don gets a reminder that Megan is about to pick up her stuff, and then he and Diana vacate the premises. Can I just point out the fact that Diana and Don both sleep like fucking vampires? Oh, that phone goes off. They're both stiff as a board, head, head chin pointing at the ceiling, hands at their side. Mm-hmm. I expect Don to get out of bed just like, <laughs> like he's like uh-huh. smoothly like raising, pivoting from his. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He just manifests in a cloud of bats and smoke or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I'm with you. They, that's a little weird. Uh, Don shows up at the office. Maybe that's because they're both emotional vampires. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. I mean, Diana doesn't seem to want any emotion. Well, there's, there's weird, there right? are occasionally like, find the noble vampire who doesn't want to drink animal blood. There was a whole series of movies, Twilight. Sure. Uh, it's, maybe she's the twi- and she's the twilight. Boom! I just solved it. Her purple, her pupils are yellow. Oh God! She she's trying to not give in to her her emotional vampirism. All right, all right, I can buy it. Uh, Don's he he shows up at the office and he sees Golf Pete waiting for him. <laughs> uh, Golf Pete is decked out in some amazing attire. And Golf Pete is really <laughs> really concerned with you know the whole idea of them not keeping up the image of being scratch golfers or whatever. Yeah, and I love how when Don comes in, he's like, oh, well, just, you know, toss my tie over my shoulder, take my roll up my sleeves. And he's like, that would probably work, you asshole. No, it's like, <laughs> he's like, you're good enough it. looking and charming enough to pull that off. Yes. God damn it. Yes, they probably I have will. to wear this. <laughs> yes, I have to live in a pit and dress like a caddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love seeing Pete in that outfit. It's ridiculous. And they still won't like me as much as you. <laughs> nope. Um, apparently he forgot about this outing and he mentions renting pants, which I don't even know if you can do. No, renting clubs. Yeah. Later on, he like Pete in that scene asked him, can you even rent pants? Like, no, he says something about it. Yeah. No, no, I, no, I don't. Cause in the car, they talk about renting clubs. Yeah. Well, I think that's what he's saying. It's like, can you really rent? Like that's going to look so bushly because the rental clubs are pretty rough, even in sure. fairly decent places. Yeah, yeah. At least that's been my experience. So he's like, well, fucking buy a pair. Don doesn't give a shit. Yeah, I don't Don's know. Don's just going to show up and be charming and blow everyone's doors off. Like, that's his expectation. Sure. Megan and her sister and her mother as well clear out Megan's stuff from Don's apartment. 
and she and her sister are you uh her sister runs out into the city and Megan has to go to lunch, so she leaves her mother some money and takes off. Megan has a Ziatis temperament. That's her excuse. Yeah. What is her fucking sister's excuse for being as high strung and dramatic? Kids. Uh, <laughs> my uh, kids are freaking me out. This is my only chance to let loose. I'm I think out they of all here. have in stage syphilis because they're all acting <laughs> like fucking season five Al Capone from Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Like they're just raging from one thing to the next, highly unstable. Mm-hmm. Harry's lucky he didn't get beat to death with the Statue of Liberty, honestly. Here's the line I love, where Megan says, he gave me a $500 check, and her mother says, like a whore? <laughs> what is she going to do when she sees the million-dollar check? Uh, or when she takes $180 from Roger and lays right, his pipe. Right, No, I mean, that's obvious. I mean, she's, ob- you know, her mother's obviously a piece of work. Yes. So. Yeah, I, th- there's no doubt about that. She has been from the start. Uh, there's also a quick look back at Don's apartment that Megan gives before she heads out. Uh, what did you make of her look there? Uh, oh, one last look at my life before I leave it forever. Yeah. Like this is what I'm walking away from. Is it the right decision? Maybe. I don't think she's even questioning that. It's more just like, I want to get a, I don't know, a mental picture of what this all looks like before it's over. Or it's, it's, it's like a longing or wistful or what could have been or what if Don wasn't a fucking broken human being that's a l- compulsive liar. Yeah. And, you know, I zooby zooed for this man. Yeah. I cleaned up in lingerie. <laughs> All right. Pete and Don driving to the golf course. And uh, they're just, you know, Pete's so worried about what they're going to do without clubs and all that stuff. And, you know, they start talking about life and marriage and. Pete's dissatisfied and Don's dissatisfied and it's all just, ugh, ugh. It always is with Pete, but especially in this scene. I, I do love that line, though. You know, Which one? Um, Jiminy Christmas? You're, you're going to do your life favorite. over and get it right, but what if you never get past the beginning again? Yep. That's, I feel like that is the line that sums up Don in a lot of ways and certainly this episode, his, his storyline in this episode. Yeah. Um, with Diana, he's going back to the beginning again. Sure. With his blank slate apartment, he's going back to the beginning again. And it makes me wonder, are we going to have time in this series for Don to even get past the beginning? I don't know. We've got five episodes left. Yeah, not a lot I, of time. I, I hope this is the... Because uh, sometimes I feel like the wiener invites us to talk shit about him. Like He, he's, he sets us up for... Just when you've written off, um, this off as being this one-note bullshit thing, I'm going to then blow you away. So uh, I I can see another episode maybe of this kind of thing, but surely there's more to it at the end of the day than what than, than what we're seeing as a thesis. I mean, there will be a, a satisfaction. Maybe the reason the Wiener's been so happy in interviews is because he knows he pulled off a successful troll on the audience he has his love-hate relationship with. I, I don't know. It could be. I mean, I know we've talked in the past about whether you need Don to change by the end of this series, or is that enough of a statement in and of itself to make this show great? Yeah, I mean... And I'm I'm not certain that it's not. Here's the thing. If his statement was, people never change, I mm-hmm. felt like that was made a season or two ago. So... You're right. Where do you want to end the series? So, the, to to say something else, you would need... That's, that's why you come back for a season six and a season seven... Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I, so I, okay. I don't know. Will I be disappointed if this is the, I don't, probably not. Because again, this has been all as much about the destination as, it, or I'm sorry, the journey as it's 
been about the destination, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of hoping for more. Okay. I think that's fair. Uh, Marie's taking all of the furniture from Don's apartment, all of it, pictures, everything. Uh, she unfortunately doesn't have the money to pay the movers for the extra expenses. And so she calls up Roger and tells him to come over with $200 cash. Sure. Uh, I know. I don't feel like Meredith is doing this on purpose, but giving Marie shit tickled me a little bit. Well, no, she's like, like she's, Marie's so exasperate. Like, I don't believe Don's not in the office. And Meredith's just like, I can take a message for you. Well, lady, or I can wait 20 years for cell phones to be invented. <laughs> right? I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, no, but she doesn't say any of that. She's just like, I can take a message. You, but the other thing is, can you imagine if Marie got a hold of Don? Like, I don't think Don would just come over there and get, well, maybe he would. I mean, he would have Megan asked, but Marie, he'd be like, whatever. Yeah, I wonder what happens there. If he comes over, sees his apartment empty, and says, she says, you got to pay for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like maybe just to get it over with and just, fuck, I'm done with this. I feel like he'd pay maybe. the guys $500 and move his shit back in. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then calls the police, have her escort out the building. Mm-hmm. Or calls the, you know, surgically repaired heart doorman, the Bernie or whatever his name is, to uh, get get her hauled off. Bionic heart, man. <laughs> uh, we go to the dark room where Pima lays down some deep truths about Stan's girlfriend not being worthy of him. Uh, then makes a move on him, and they get down in the dark room. She also said that drawing is a more rare talent, to which he responds with a crestfallen O. Is that basically her shitting on his photography, in addition to his subject being uh, these these not pictures are shit, him? but you can draw. Well, so, I mean, that's yeah. not you don't have to be goddamn uh, Michelangelo. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're right. Like, don't feel so bad that these pictures are really terrible. Yeah. If you got a artistic t- skill, and that's... she also is, you know, kind of saying that the subject isn't very good, and like, sure. look what you're working with here, that sort of thing. Yeah, she's she's putting down a lot about this this photography. Well, she seduced the hell out of him. Now, did you yeah. recognize this person, Mimi Rogers? Person? Uh, I don't. I mean, I've seen her around. I just don't. I can't recall what I've seen her in. I know she does a lot of work. She's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I know. She, I think she was like the replacement for Jillian Anderson in the X Files. We go over to Roger in Don's apartment, and he's paying the movers. And then he, against his better judgment, decides that um, Marie's going to convince him to bang her in Don's apartment. Yeah, I was about to be pissed that Rogers is going to come over there and clean Don out, aid and abet. But they make it very clear that Marie just told him a pack of lies. Yeah. And they're believable lies. Mm-hmm. Oh, Don is very generous in a divorce. Well, I tried to tell him not to, but that sounds like my Don. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Roger's not going, it, a woman telling Roger, take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. is something that he could not possibly turn down. That's taking advantage of Roger. That, that is, <laughs> that is red meat to, to him. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any problem with Roger actually doing that, even though, you I was know, dick move. To. I was cool. set up to, but yeah, she, she, ter- she bamboozled him, which is not that hard to do. Yeah. Harry meets with Megan. Uh, ooh, ugh, this scene. He flatters her. He tries to get her uh, to sleep with him, but she turns him down. You know, she she's there under the guise that Harry is going to give her some advice on her career because mm-hmm. he has helped other people. I he wonder exactly how. Yeah, how he helped those other people. Um, the thing is, is he is good at his job, I, and he has a lot of contacts that probably would help yes. him out. Mm-hmm. 
And the other thing is, Harry probably could make time with actresses and starlets if he would just legitimately help them and blow smoke up their ass and be a little bit more slick about it. Yeah. Just as much of uh, a predator relationship, but he'd be more successful one. I mean, Megan seems like she would be vulnerable to that kind of uh, just continual high praise. Harry needs to be an agent, right? I mean, if that's what he wants to do is go around and sleep with a bunch of actresses and models and rub elbows with TV people, that's what he needs to go do. Like, fuck this advertising he thing. He needs to be like a movie producer. Sure. Or maybe even a pornographer. Uh-huh. And he could get away with that. I'm like, not saying, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying if that's what he wants to do, go do it. I feel like that stuff is golden age of Hollywood kind of stuff. Like he's even too, like he was born a decade or two too late to get into the prime casting couch type situations. Right. Maybe I'm being naive. I just be like, yeah. you know, and Megan, thank God, because for a minute there, I was worried that she was going to pull a Joan mm-hmm. and 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 sleep with with Herb for Jaguar. But she, to her immense credit, got up, drank the entire glass of wine and said, fuck this. I'm out. I'm glad she drank the wine. Yeah, that was one of the best parts. Yeah. Uh, did you recognize this dress that she's wearing? I did not. It's from the season seven premiere where. She goes and picks up Don at the airport. It's the same dress? Same dress. People are speculating that this is a dress she wears for confidence or um, when she's just kind of feeling down as a, a boost. See, I see that as a clothes horse like like Megan pulling something out that's like a year or two old. I, that makes it that I that smell that that smells like desperation. Like. I'm always, right. I think we've debated I, this. Like, is Megan right. really a bad actress that has been undone by the things happen in her life? Or is she just really terrible and getting nowhere because she doesn't have talent? Like, it's so meta to have, and yeah. we debate that about Jessica Parry. Is she a good actress? Is she a really good actress playing a bad actress that's playing a, like, I don't know how far that particular rabbit hole goes. But knowing that she reused the dress to pick up Don and now for Harry, it makes it feel a lot. I, I feel, I feel sadder for her. Yeah. Like no, I'm, I'm with 40% you. sadder for her. Yeah. I can't imagine that she's the world's greatest actress given the stuff she did on the soap opera. Sure. If you recall that. Um, but I don't know. She, it felt like she just never got a chance because of this relationship. Except with she Dawn, did star started... on a popular soap series that then she completely failed to capitalize on. And exactly. Like yeah. out on a bunch of interviews with, I mean, uh... yeah, she never got a chance to show whether or not she was good because of other issues. I do think her agent does suck. I think yes. Harry was right about that. De- definitely. Harry could get her on those lists. I fully agree. Hmm. All right. But there's one list she doesn't want to be on. And Which that is the is... slept with Harry Crane list. <laughs> yeah. That is a list that you cannot get off. Nope. No matter how many showers you take, <laughs> no matter how many hours you spend in Betty Draper's psychology yeah. office. No. And I mean, afterward, you just you smell like White Castles for the rest of your life. Yep. You can't get it off. You smell like a White Castle fry cook from here to eternity. <laughs> All right. So after lunch, Megan comes back early to Don's apartment and discovers what Roger and her mother have been up to. And she is pissed. She storms off. Uh, I love this line. You don't get to stand in judgment of me. No, yeah, no, she actually does. So say we, and all. you know it. And as soon as she leaves the room, you break out into tears. And yes. she's also trying to make this all about Megan when it's clearly Ugh. 
a proxy war against her father. Okay. Yeah. Papa. Sure. Like this has never been about Megan and her being aggrieved. It's all about being a, 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 her offense that she's taken at being, you know, strapped down with this asshole. Yeah. And it's just all laid bare and it just all breaks bad and is gross. And I guess I feel sorry for Megan. Yeah, I wonder I if this is the last sorry time we'll for... see her. Because if Cert- it is, it's a good way to go out for her, yeah, right? Yeah, this was a fair... I mean, this felt like a fairly substantial... I don't think we needed it. Don't think we wanted it. But yeah. this feels like a substantial arc for Megan to go out on. Yeah. I agree. I, I kind of like it. I, I don't have any problems with it, at least. like My only criticism is it makes... I feel like the majority audience just hate Megan at this point. And I wonder if... The wiener feels like he might need to redeem her in some way, but I I, I feel like uh, by the time she gets in, gives Don both barrels. I feel like where that anger is coming from, and it's not necessarily misplaced. Mm-hmm. Don just happens to be the punching bag who's more than willing to to take it. Sure. So Harry goes to Don before Megan can. Oh God! And tells him, "Hey, Megan's not stable. She might say some crazy shit about me." Uh, God, this is such a hairy move. I mean, dude, Harry's a classic abuser. Yeah. Like, this bullshit he was trying to perpetrate on Megan is some heinous shit, and then try troping, uh, when it doesn't work to pull out the, oh, she's just crazy. Crazy unstable bitch. Crazy unstable bitches, am I right? It's just, I wish Don had fucking just punched him in the nuts, because Don got into his face all Batman, what is she gonna say about you? <laughs> and Harry saw the fear of God, and for whatever reason, Don's like, you know what? None of my business. Yeah, I, I think the, one of the most important lines in here is when Harry says she quit her soap and left New York. That was a really dumb idea, because then you know Don looks off in the middle distance. If you're right about, about that being Don's idea, this completely explains a million dollars. If yeah. you're wrong, then I see the million dollars as a way for Don just feeling badly about Megan the way it turns out, and that I can I can give her this thing that gives her financial security forever. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I feel like Don at least feels responsible because the marriage kind of got in the way of her acting career, even if he didn't directly influence her, uh, which I don't, I don't remember. He frankly. certainly wasn't supportive throughout her entire attempt. And she, you know, he wanted her to be something she wasn't, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Peggy's picking out pictures for the vermouth ad when Pima comes in and tries to seduce her. And now she's dressed like a turn-of-a-century pimp. <laughs> I <laughs> Pima uh, uh-huh. continues to blow me away in her, in her fashion sense. Yeah, Peggy's a little disgusted by it, I think. she. Mm. Well, she's, I feel like she doesn't know exactly what to make of it at first, but I feel like there's also the realization that, oh my God, this woman is... It's just weird because... Doing things I don't agree with. Pima's answer to everything is try to seduce. Yeah. Like, uh, this, you're insecure, you want my opinion, I'm going to try to seduce you. You're ultra-empowered and running this shop, think I'm going to have to seduce you. <laughs> All right. But again, I don't feel like this was to get ahead because she doesn't feel like she's a desperate person out... Try- like, she doesn't feel like a hustler. She feels like a person that is a has a voracious sexual appetite. I don't, I don't know. I pair these things with You really Stan's, think she did this to get more work? That I, I Stan says that she dug really deep to find a woman. And it and in my mind that means, you know, stack of paperwork, best candidates at the top, and boom, here she is near the bottom. But so long she's hair, not great at what she does. Long hair Ed said that this woman's never like 
she's not done advertising like that was a creative choice. You're saying that that's something mm-hmm. she's done because no one has offered it to her? I don't know. I don't know exactly. All right. Uh, I'm trying to connect dots where it's very difficult to connect them. Sure. In this episode. Anyway, Don and Megan meet to settle the divorce terms, but the lawyer is late. So they're sitting there alone, and Megan calls him an aging, sloppy, selfish liar. Which I All most, true. I mostly agree with, yeah. All true. Uh, he admits it, and he writes her a check for a million dollars so she can have the life she deserves, the life he promised her. And then Megan leaves her ring, and Don says he's sorry as she walks out. Uh, does Don feel guilty about what he's done to Megan or what he's done to all women? Yes. Okay, good <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Don is just feels guilt about everything all the time, unless yeah. he's enraged. Like, and that's I'm one. The only reason I'm not ready to write off Megan forever is because he sometimes takes this aggrieved stance. Like uh, when I've tried to be fucking reasonable, and you throw it in my face, then he will retreat to that grandiose enraged state. And I wonder if Megan perpetrating the heist. Uh, that she doesn't know about, and neither did she, on the mm-hmm. face of accepting this million dollars, is going to gall him into that bitch. I don't know. And then I could see her getting caught back into that. Or maybe he just commiserates with Roger and goes on a bender. Who the hell knows? Yeah. All right. We'll find out, I guess. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll skip that part. We just haven't seen Megan in that uh, hot as the sun outfit you rocked in the uh, preseason marketing stuff, which yeah. I don't know that, that that's necessary, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. Okay. I agree. <laughs> Stan comes into Peggy's fuck office. Fuck that blue chiffon number. You should have rocked yeah, that at the fuck. Harry meeting. Ugh, I, don't, I don't even like that dress. Anyway, Stan comes into Peggy's office glowing about the darkroom bang session and how great Pima is, which is a total change of tone <laughs> for him. And Peggy picks up on it, says that she tried it with her too, and she's not going to get another job. And Stan is stunned that he was not the only one that she hit on. Yeah. Uh, and, and he goes, I don't believe you. And she says, which part? Which... It's uh, man, she's really she's really mean to Stan. Yeah. Where is this anger coming from? Is she mad that he cheated on her boyfriend or, or cheated on her girlfriend for Pima? Is she mad that she cheated on her girlfriend and not for her? Mm-hmm. Is she mad that she turned Pima down and he didn't, and now she kind of wishes she had jumped off on Pima because she still has a torch? For that tomboy news reporter deal that she got. I don't know. I don't. I. It's sometimes hard to read Peggy's motivations. Are, do, do we see uh, Stan torpedoing his relationship with presumably the redheaded nurse as an obvious way to eliminate the barriers between him and Peggy uh, having some kind of tension to take her minds off the inevitable pairing of her and Don? uh i trying to weave a mind trick to see if i can just get you to go along with it i'll i'll say maybe to that first part not sure (laughs) not so sure about the ending anyway we go back to megan who is back in the hotel her sister's complaining about her mother ran off with a man is leaving her father and she blames megan for all this megan and i's dialogue was identical we were saying in real time like jinx you owe me a coke style i don't care I don't care. I don't want to hear yeah. this. You've, you've been unhappy for a long time. Do something about it like yes. mom did. Yes. That sort of thing. It's a sin to be a ghoul and feel feed on it. That's that's pretty pretty slick line. Yeah. Can't believe she can't get like How a soap devastating. opera off of that. Right? 
That's a good line. Uh, in real life, if someone delivered a line like that to you, would you laugh or would you be devastated? It's one of those things where it's like, you know, every once in a while someone deploys that and you like, you just like, you land, you're just like a landed fish. What I'm, can you I'm, say? I'm a ghoul? I was not prepared to deal with like, <laughs> you packed four or five different right on assertions about me. I'm kind of done now. Yep. <laughs> uh, I need a PowerPoint presentation to even begin to refute it. So you win. We go back to Stan's house where his girlfriend is asking what Pima thought of his work. She loved him. He says... Uh, Stan feeling guilty a little bit here. Yeah, he does. And and he's, yeah. I, I mean, I also feel like he's kind of wondering about what Pima said. Like, is this girl worthy of me? Like, and also, am I worthy of her? Like, all that stuff is kind of mixed and up And that all those things she said about my art, was that just to get in my pants? Or was that just to get, like, there's a lot going on in his mind. Yeah. But it's also a, just really awkward that uh, he's laying there with this girl. Yeah. I can see why. With a stench of Pima on him. <laughs> Don brings Diana a New York City guidebook, and she says, I don't want that. I don't want anything. By the way, this is the Don's finally found his pit, is Diana's, You're Diana's right. apartment. Ugh. That is Luckily, he doesn't spend much time there. As pity as anything Pete's ever been. Do you think we're done with Diana, like, though? I think so. Hmm. But... If I felt 1% if, stronger, I'd want to bet you on it, because I could... It they've devoted so not that I love it, but they devoted so much time to her that I'd be just kind of shocked if we don't see her sometime in the next five episodes. Okay, I wouldn't be shocked either. I guess like even if it's something dumb, like Don goes back to the apartment, no answer, he knocks the door down, and she's hung herself. She's like laying prices up. Jeez, it's dark. Uh, anyway, they argue about who has the most pain in their lives. I guess, and Diana reveals she has another daughter who she abandoned in Wisconsin, and then Don leaves. Mm, I know you've never seen the Princess Bride, but it's a classic to the pain. They had a to the Mm. pain fight. Uh, Yeah, and he's like, that whole thing, like, you're not my first. I've been separated a long time. Ten months is a long time, right? I'm I'm ready. ready. Like, what about her, asshole? Uh That that doesn't even enter into his opinion. It's like, it's all about him. Yeah, yeah. She's clearly not ready. I mean, she's at the bottom of a bottle. the majority of the time and has just revealed some horrible information about herself to you. Uh, and she says, you know, you're fooling yourself. It's not, you're not ready either. You're nowhere near ready. I don't know. These people that leave their families because something's happened. I just don't, I don't get it. Like I pity, but I can't respect them. It seems, yeah, yeah. it seems self evident that she is trading. She's running away from pain that, but ironically, it's just going to prolong and increase it. And like, she seems to relish that a little y- bit. Yeah, she, she doesn't want to forget about her daughter. But there's a that's bit of this martyr, mm. like there's this nobility to suffering that just fucking getting through it and keeping your family and being there for what's left of it. I mean, that's not sexy. That's not something that people sing in Mary Poe. I, I just, uh, it's gross. Yeah. Don, Don dodged a bullet. Not that he's a prize himself, but damn, there is some some pathos there. Well, he did not dodge the furniture thieving bullet <laughs> because he gets home and he sees his his apartment completely empty. Uh, he's been he's, ro- he's been robbed. <laughs> I, I assume he will not think that. He'll probably think that Megan just took all the shit. Yeah, which I I could see him just being pissed and calling and you know her and saying turning into roger does roger talk to him at all does he try to oh nip yeah. this in the bud 
no, and I say, hey, here's what happened, dude. I think Roger will say, like, you should have listened to me. You're a fucking idiot. You gave her a million dollars. You gave her an inch, and she took your apartment. But no mention of the bang session in his apartment and uh, that he knew <laughs> all of this shit was leaving and that kind of stuff. Does Megan blame Don for that? Blame Don for... The whole Roger situation. Because that's a little... Oh, I mean that's that's mm. a little of shade of her, her sister. You you know you you poisoned my mom with New York, yeah, and your loose morals and your Diablo blah. And I <laughs> I think Mel- Megan's self aware to avoid that trap. I think so. Yeah, but so will Don know? Or will Will Roger volunteer? I I don't think Roger volunteers unless Don alludes to it somehow. Yeah, Roger's that type of guy that's just like, oh, by the way, I banged your ex mother in law. <laughs> And paid for your furniture to be moved. But I thought you wanted it. <laughs> she tricked me. I wanted you, you want? to bang my mother. No, well, okay. I took some dramatic license with that. <laughs> and that's it. It's the end of the episode. I would like to take this opportunity to tell you about Club Bald Move. That you can find all about at club.baldmove.com. Uh, first of all, it's a great way to support Jim and I. The only way we can do uh, the podcast that we do which is essentially more than once a week. If you enjoy more than one of our podcasts a week, uh, we could use your help because uh, we can't sustain that that output with, without it. Uh, you go there, and for as low as a dollar a month, you get a lot of cool features. You get access to the video feeds of us actually recording the podcast, which is fairly significant for uh, some of these shows. I mean, it might take us several hours to get these things edited and out the door. You can already have enjoyed the podcast, and you get to see us uh, screw up, or in the case of today's podcast, kill 10 minutes waiting for the lawnmower guy to get done his <laughs> endless cycles of mowing outside of her window. And He's we, a meticulous man, this lawnmower. He is, definitely. But we also do it during the middle of your workday, so we know you're bored. Yeah. You might as well tune in early. You want uh, something to do. Yeah. We got lunch with Jim and Aaron, which is a similar time-killing thing for your Fridays, uh, long Friday uh, lunch sessions. Mm-hmm. Grab a beer, grab a sandwich is what we like to say, and come join us. Uh, we've got, uh, ad free podcast feeds, so you don't have to listen to me ever pitch this crap to you again. That's worth a buck a month right there. Definitely. VIP access to the forums, lots of cool perks. And, and is this going to get better? The value is already insane at a dollar a month, and we're going to continue making it worth your while as our time frees up a little bit in the spring and summer. So mm-hmm. uh, again, help support bald move, help keep us free and independent. Do so at club.baldmove.com. Why don't we get to some feedback? Sure. Steve S. says, I'm actually a fan of Pete Campbell, and I really root for him as a character. As a lifelong New Yorker, I can really relate to guys with that kind of business ambition. Also, as a progressive, it's awesome to see a guy in the 60s actually caring about African-American TV demographics and giving okay. a shit about Martin Luther King's death. Please try to take those factors into account when dispensing the Pete hate on the show. There's so much more to hate, though. I, that's the thing. I do take that into account, and yeah. I still have this much hate. <laughs> uh, I love to hate Pete Campbell. Like, yeah. So here's another take on the Pete thing. He's taking a conscientious stand on something that impacts him, that cost him nothing to do. And then he makes it all about me. Like, it's not enough to, like, you know, he's got to be like, it's a shameful day. It's a shameful day. I, oh, there's something okay. kind of off-putting about that, too. Like, is Pete marching? Is Pete, you know, donate? I, is he donating money to political causes that would advance this? Uh, is he showing any kind of solidarity other than his outrage? I don't know. I mean, I don't don't want to deny the truth of what you're saying, Steve. Um, yeah, no. I'm... And again, I don't hate Pete Campbell. 
I, or to the extent that I do, I think I'm supposed to. I think you are. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's the other thing is like, no one's all bad. Sure. Like if, yeah, if it weren't for those two things, his ambition and his, uh, progressive stance on, uh, racial issues, he would have no redeeming qualities at all. It's true. He really wouldn't. He can't even walk down the stairs. So like, yes, I'm glad that he is a three-dimensional character, but mm-hmm. he's still like, come on. He raped a girl. Yeah, no. He he's, straight up raped a woman. Not on a good show. guy. Mm-hmm. She was afraid, and he took advantage of that fear in his position. Like, that's yeah. reprehensible. No, uh, you have my agreement. Uh, Doug L., our... Uh, infamous Jewish lawyer from uh, Better Call Saul mm-hmm. wanted to send in, because we talked about uh, not knowing about the uh, mirrors covering the walls of Jewish yes. Shiva. Uh, he sent in a link that had um, some various explanations for why this is a cultural aspect. And I thought it was interesting. So I'm going to read it because it's, you know, half my podcast anyway. <laughs> Judaism has always taught that man was created in the image of God and that he derives from that resemblance his dignity and value is supplemented his concept with the idea that the death of one of God's creatures diminishes the very image of the creator himself. Man's demise represents a disruption in relationship between the living man and the living God. Thus, he could have made us not die. The di- <laughs> Just bu- saying. Damn it, it's a feature, not a bug. You should read the Bible. Mm, okay. The dignity of man is a reflection of the creator, and therefore the image of the creator himself shrinks with the death of his creatures. Excuse me, the Torah. You should read the Torah. At the time of the destruction of the image of God represented by man, the mirror which serves to reflect man's image ought not to be used. Also, when death strikes, the mourner should contemplate the relationship between God and man and the creator and the creature, when instead the bereaved dwells vainly on his self-adoration through the use of the mirror and continues to be concerned with his own image, they show disrespect. It's also a mirror is a means of achieving social acceptance by enhancing one's appearance. In the spirit of Jewish mourning, however, it's a spirit of loneliness, the mourner dwelling silently and in solitude on his personal loss. Social etiquette and appearance become insignificant, Thus, the covering the mirror symbolizes this. And finally, worship services are customarily held in the home of a bereaved. Jewish law clearly states that one may not worship an image or even stand directly in front of one, whether it be a picture or reflected image in a mirror. Thus, mirrors must be covered as a practical way of turning this house into a temporary house of worship. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool. Made sense. Yeah. Uh, Matt S., another lawyer from our Better Call Saul show, uh, who apparently is also Jewish. Yeah, I know he, yeah, he actually, he was, he said, typically people bring over food, um, and, and traditionally something sweet, which is why Don noted that he brought a cake after saying that he'd lived in New York for a while with the implication that he understood basic Jewish traditions. Okay. Which that's cool. That provided a little context of that. Like, Hey, I'm not, uh, I'm not that kind of Gentile. Gotcha. He also said, by the way, I think it speaks to the type of people, my profession, an attorney, that your Better Call Saul recaps are full of feedback from attorneys, and I've not heard one advertising executive ever write to your Mad Men podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure what it says, but it does say something. And also, ironically, you're like one e- one week uh, late with that because we did hear, we we heard for some from McCann Erickson this week. Yeah, okay. S- spoiler alert for later in the feedback. <laughs> James V with a quick observation. The company that is casting for the ad with the furniture or for, with the fur is Wilkinson. It's not a department store as you reported. It's a razor company. That's weird. One of the most prominent from the 60s and 70s, which I should have known because one of the last times I was shaving with my DE double-edged razor, they were, I was using Wilkinson Sabres. Wow. 
Okay. So and it was more about the leg than the coat. See, that's yes, the thing that fooled me. It didn't make sense. Like, you're Wilkinson smooth. I'm yeah. like, well, I, yeah, I've never felt a chinchilla coat. So what the hell? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a dumbass. Uh, and many, many people pointed that out. Okay. The fact that I'm a dumbass. Mm-hmm. Bill G said, my dear Irish mother would tell you. I just about started an Irish could... accent. That would have been wrong. That would have been bad. I apologize. Uh, it was going to be a bad one, too. I could tell. <laughs> but the black Irish is a pejorative... Uh, as a pejorative meant you weren't 100% Irish and probably the spawn of some bastard. Hmm. The origin, as I understand it, is that it meant that you had Spanish blood. It had something to do with the Spanish Armada getting obliterated and the Spanish sailors making their way to Ireland, getting on the local gals and having, quote-unquote, swarthy Irish kids. When kid ca- when Ken calls them black Irish, he's telling the Irish proud McCann guys that, hey, being Irish is bad enough to a wasp like Ken, but you're not even really Irish. Yeah. So that makes it sting a little bit more. Grimy little Mitch writes in and says, in severance, much has been made about the petty or Peggy Lee song. Is that all there is summing up Mad Men, how the characters repeat mistakes, don't really change and are unable to find true happiness. One instance of this that stuck out to me was Roger's decision to fire Ken Coster Grove. Kenny ends their chats with a sarcastic. Thanks for your loyalty. It was just a prior episode, Waterloo, where Bert talks to Roger about loyalty and leadership. Even though Bert agreed mostly with Cutler about Don, he would not get rid of him because he valued loyalty and said a leader must have it. This seemed to inspire Roger, who then put together the deal with McCann to save Don's job and get his partner's money in a buyout. But here we are just months later in the very next episode, and Roger has already reverted back to old Roger. Instead of his final mm-hmm. conversation with a man he admired serving as a lasting inspiration on him, he simply disregards it and reverts back to his old self. I honestly wonder if Bert's desk, death was going to finally re- spark a ch- real change in Roger, but I guess not. Like everything else in Mad Men, it was only temporary. To quote Dr. Fay, you only like the beginning of things. One other thing I took from the use of the Peggy Lee song was uh, the story opens with a little girl talking about her father. Will this somehow relate to Don and Sally? The girl in the song is saved from the fire by her father. My hope is that the series ends with Don saving Sally in some way by reducing some of the psychological damage, creating a better all relationship, etc., and thereby saving himself. The only happy ending I see for Don is him improving his relationship with his kids. Everything romantic is a bust. It has come down to him and Sally now. It's the most important relationship in his life, and hopefully he will see that before the series ends. What do you think? Uh, I think I think he's right. I, I like that take, and I would be satisfied with that ending, I think, if Don were to somehow save Sally from the misery that is her family. Are all relationship with Don kaput at this point? Who are all what? Romantic relationships with Don. Oh. Sorry. Uh, is it possible that this Betty talking about psychologist is a hint that maybe oh, uh, Dr. Faye Miller comes back? She wouldn't do that. Nah. I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that unless she sees that Don has grown quite a bit, which I don't think he, he has. has not. I know. She can't see something that's not there. So I don't think she would do that. Now, hmm. what if... Okay. And this is a big what if. Oh, boy. What if Betty realizes uh, she she takes the psychology courses and somewhere along the way she is the thing that saves sally from the fire of dawn the broken home no <laughs> no okay. there's not enough episodes unless I, we're I think you're right massive flash forwards and yeah dying. like a year people have been speculating like maybe a year every episode and that or would get us to like 76 an, there's, there's and, like an interstellar type time loop or a a groundhog day thing that lets betty yeah. just practice psychology for like 
40 human lifetimes. That would be super weird, right? If you're thinking about like Groundhog Day where the person you know, Mm -hmm. like your friends, your friends who like, if I came to you tomorrow and said, you know what? I'm a virtuoso on every instrument there is. Uh, I have a plan to solve world hunger and here it is. And like all these amazing things. I can sculpt ice sculptures. Yeah. That would be fucking weird to you, right? It's weird, but I know you. The the thing that works about do, Groundhog Day is that these people had very superficial knowledge of him. I know. I'm thinking after the fact. Like, he's going to live the next day. He's going to go back to his hometown. He's going to meet his parents. And his parents will be like, what the fuck? Did you, when did you learn all this? Huh. We saw you yesterday. You couldn't do any of this. Yeah, you're right. I think that'd be, that'd be strange. That'd but be kind of cool. It's a diversion. Never mind. I would stay at that town because having omniscient knowledge of it, I mean, sure, that's going to get less and less relevant every day that goes by. But man. Yeah, yeah. That's that's some power. That's some power mm-hmm. you can't buy. Uh, Be the mayor. I'm <laughs> sure. Listen to my fucked up mind. Chuck, all this f- talk of fire this week, and apparently everyone has forgotten exactly how Dick... I should have n- mentioned that this was all, like, old business. This is oh, all okay. the severance email. Yeah. All the talk of fire this week, and apparently everyone has forgotten exactly how Dick Whitman became Don Draper. Just saying. In a fireball. In a, in a mortar explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the fire fits in with the Slaughterhouse-Five theory as it's traumatic firebombing of Dresden by the Royal Air Force. And hey, Cutler was there, OMG, that caused Billy Pilgrim to be unstuck in time in the first place. Mm. I don't, okay. I don't, you're right. There's not much to say about that because it seems right on. And I, every episode that passes without us getting more unstuck in time is going to make it seem like this is a bit... Dante Inferno, mm-hmm. where it's like, wow, that's a really awesome theory that I could see Wiener doing, and then no piece is not going to do it. And then you're eating a plate full of pasta called Diablo, and you have no idea why. But if we jump around in time, it would give Betty uh, time to be a psychologist and maybe fix up Sally, so maybe we can there you figure go. out a way to make everyone happy. Uh, on the new business, literally, the episode called New Business, Joey V said... They have cha- should have changed the opening credits to a woman falling out of a building because if I got home and all my furniture was gone, I'd be throwing <laughs> Megan and her goddamn mother off the balcony. I know Don is out of the office, but what kind of bitch doesn't call the secretary after getting a million-dollar check and not at least lie and say the movers screwed up and took all the furniture and it will be returned immediately? We don't know that she didn't, necessarily. True. Don checks his messages when he gets home. That's so true. And, and maybe that's the next Marie thing he does. took his phone, too. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure she did. Yeah. Well, she did leave she some took, things here and there. Yeah, a couple of pictures, maybe. Alternatively, Megan and her na- naivete pulled a Kramer from Seinfeld when she took the check for a million. Dot is easily worth about 15 times that in the long run, and she could have dug in for more and probably gotten it. But God, I was hoping that when the, he slid the check to her and said, I want you to have everything you deserve, would say zero. the check was made out to zero dollars. Yep. And he came back a la Pacino and Godfather 2. You could have my answer now, Senator. Nothing. Uh-huh. Not even the cost of moving your ass back to California. So I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, that, that would have been brilliant. That is um, not an inhuman reaction to have to this series of events. Mm-hmm. Especially like if you've got a divorce sometime in the last five years, I can see this uh, pushing the old emotional uh, tolerance to the red zone. Sure. Cherie from L.A. said the song over the end credits was Cest Si Bon, performed by actor and singer Yves Montana. I don't know. I'm not French. I don't know how to pronounce this shit. I can Yves barely, Montana. I can barely say English. The song, though, uh, Cherie continues, sung in French means it's so good, and this version is all about love. 
We hear about a loving couple walking arm in arm, and it includes the line, they're so good, these little thrills that are worth more than a million. Or in Megan's case, exactly one million. American actress and singer Eartha Kitt, who's also a Catwoman from TV's Batman, had a hit record with a slightly different version of this song, which added lyrics that are a bit more pointed. I'm looking for a millionaire with big Cadillac cars and mink coats, jewels as big as your fist. So there you have it. You can have love worth more than money, or you can have the loot. Megan can't have the love worth more than money because Don fucked that up, so she took the loot. Why did okay. she leave the ring? I like it. It's I don't weird. know. She took his apartment. I, get... I felt like that was symbolic. Yeah. Like, that's it, and this is over. What's Don going to do with the secondhand ring? But that, yeah, you're off right. his that's balcony. Just, it doesn't just, matter. That's just a little bit of spice to the fuck you. Yeah. Um, although it's weird because I felt like Don writing her to check for a million dollars took a lot of the indignation out of uh, Megan Sales. Like, it's yeah, almost you're right. touching. Like, this man's an empty shell. All he's got is his money, and he's giving me a lot. <laughs> Indeed. But also, we less, we lost, last left Megan with her saying, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. And Don's like, I want to take care of you. Yeah. And this, it's all about where's my allowance and my million dollars. A lot can change in 10 months. Hey, Doug L came back and double dipped on us for new business. Said after this week's episode, I think a sad outcome of Don may be back in the cards. The show has often metaphorically cast Don as a phantom. And as Megan says this week, nothing about him is real. Mm -hmm. This point seems to have been driven home hard lately. First, Bert appears to him as a ghost at the end of last season. Then Rachel in the premiere. Now we're getting a farewell tour of old flames. All who seem to be getting along fine without Don as if he was never there to begin with. Betty has her family and her budding new career in psychology. Yikes. (laughs) But the Francis household is presented as being in order. Sylvia barely acknowledges Don at all, and Megan literally leaves Don's apartment and wallet empty as though she were never there. Meanwhile, even though things in the firm are moving on, such as Peggy, without any need for Don, indeed, he doesn't even show up to work until 1130, and no one seems to notice. Then there's Diana, the waitress, who is something of a phantom herself. She vaguely resembles a number of Don's past romances and has a sketchy past, including prostitution and abandoned children, just like Don's mother. We barely get a sense of who she is, and then she is gone. With all this death and ghost imagery, it seems as though the show is trying to tell us that Don barely exists at all. This seems like an awfully gloomy metaphor to end the show on. Perhaps some redemptive arc is around the corner. But the gloomy metaphor has to also pay off somehow, too. Do you agree that... A bad ending for Don is back on the table. I don't know that he... I mean, you're insinuating that he's going to die. Well, Doug is insinuating. I'm just saying that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last season, I was feeling that this was going to be uplifting. Now I'm thinking this more probably is going to be mixed at best. I mean, that's kind of why I lean toward Don doesn't necessarily need to change by the end of this. Hmm. Like, that's that's a fairly bleak message yeah is the people are who they are and they're not going to change and no matter what you try you can't and it like his death isn't necessary i feel like he he is already dead and the only thing you can do is bring him back to life Mm -hmm. an actual literal death here does not mean much to me okay all right uh dan from in fact don dying at this point might be seen as an out He's a miserable human being. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, there's still from last week the people like, yeah, the only thing about that is he leaves the kids to Betty, but maybe Betty gets a college degree and straightens herself out. Yes. 
Dan from Manchester said, I watched a recent preseason interview with the Wiener on YouTube where he said that he sees the glory days of America as being between 1960 to 1976. That's right. The birth of Aaron destroyed the American empire. <laughs> with the season beginning in the 70s, is this merely a coincidence or did he accidentally give a hint about the season's time frames to come? It would have to jump quite significantly over the next five episodes, though. One year an episode would be interesting, but quite extreme. That's where I saw this theory. There we go. Another, you know, jumping around time, getting Betty a chance to get her doctorate. What do you think about that? Uh, it's a little much for me. Also, I, I, don't know. I mean, picking out glory days of the of America is very problematic because I was thinking, man, sixty to seventy six. That's an interesting time frame to pick. But like, you know. We got a checkered past in this country. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people, uh, most of them not minorities, who would pick like the 50s. Sure. Sure. Um, but like, you know, you go back to it's, it's it's really weird. Really weird. I mean, I guess that's like all countries. Nobody's nobody's perfect and they have no sins to answer for. But. Yeah, it's, it's all perspective. I mean, you know, I a lot of what I consider great. Uh, about America is the stuff since I've been alive is like the 80s. I mm. fucking love the 80s, man. But that doesn't mean they're any better or worse than any other time, you mm. know? I mean, yeah, th- things do get better as time progresses. Uh, it seems to be... In general, sure. Yeah, the general idea. But I I don't know. It, it, when it comes to the man who is making the show and what his idea is, then I could certainly see the show taking that direction, right? Okay. it It, it makes sense. All right, uh, moving on to Liz G. said, this episode felt like a waste of my time in many ways. Mm. I don't think it was necessary to see Megan's mom or sister or Stan's girlfriend. Hard to argue with that. But it's always a treat to see Betty. I won't complain about the little bit of time we spent with her. And it's funny that she's going to be a therapist. She has spent some time in therapist offices. (laughs) I I hope she specializes in child psychology. Uh, uh. So she can dispense. Can you imagine, like, you know, she gets a child has been through some kind of trauma in her office. And she's like, "Just, just stop acting that way. Your face is going to freeze that way. (laughs) Uh, How much money does Don have, she wonders. Giving Megan a million felt excessive and over the top. They weren't together that long. And what earning potential did she really give up for him when she moved to California? She was an actress on a soap. Uh, Why would a nurse, Stan's woman, not shower before getting into bed? If I visit a hospital, I won't sit on furniture until I've showered and changed clothes. A good friend of mine, a nurse, wants all those germs from patients and the hospital off of her before she settles in after a shift. Solid point, but this was the 70s, man. They hadn't invented antro- antibacterial soap. It wasn't on everybody. I don't know that people were that big a germaphobe. Yeah, I mean, that was my first thought. They probably oh, should have been, a germaphobe, but, but yeah, like working at a hospital, I feel like that's like a, it's like working in a coal mine. Like the first step is come home, get naked, burn clothes, get in shower, mm-hmm. repeat as necessary. It may be too soon to worry, but I'm con- getting concerned that I'm not going to be pleased with how Mad Men ends. I just don't understand the path we are on at this time. Keep the faith, Liz. I think it is too soon, and I think that our feeling of instability might be a desired product of what Matthew Weiner is putting on the table. He might intend us to feel this way okay. as an artiste. Well, then good job. He's the Pima coming to us in a crazy <laughs> business suit. In a dark room. In a dark room, <laughs> trying to slip his tongue into our ear and eye holes. Ooh, and uh, our need for his approval is, 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 is he can feel the tension. 
<laughs> Dave L. Said a quick email about religion in Quebec. While uh, French Canada, especially Montreal, is fairly famous for being a haven for any and all vices, the second most important institution next to the Canadians, which, if you don't know, is a hockey team, okay. which is kind of double-dipping because hockey is a religion in Canada as well. Uh. Uh, anyway, the second most institution, important institution is the church. So it makes a ton of sense that the Calve girl – is it Gal- Calve? I think so, yeah. The Calve girls place heavy value on what they view as a sacrament of marriage. No, totally, especially back then. I mean, I think of Peggy's family and how judgmental they were as uh, Catholics. And yeah. if Quebec is even more so, then shit, yeah. Did you? Did I cut you off? No, no. All right. We're good. Rolling on. Bob R. said, I did not like hearing Roger ducking meetings with Burt Peterson. Bad juju, guys. Bad juju. It's clear Roger's plan for running independent of McCann aren't working as planned. That black Irish thug Ferg held a grudge over $4 million in Bird's Eyes products walking out with Ken. How do you think he feels about an SCDP principal slipping out of a PPL deal? Also, I hope you gents caught the new painting in Roger's office. The tentacle porn lives on. We did indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that Ferg would care because in in his eyes... He's not ducking Bert. He's just trying to keep the account alive. That's what I thought, too. Like, the guy who fired him twice is going to be a problem yeah. at the golf outing. <laughs> yeah, you don't. I mean, that's essentially showing up the Kins. Like, if Roger, Roger yeah. shows up to, to golf with Ken, not going to be a good idea time for anybody. That's how I read it, too. Uh, Diana L. has a couple points. Did you notice when Pete and Don are in the car driving upstate to play some rolled-up sleeved golf? That the green screen is once again very weird. If you look at the speed, the tires or the trees are passing them in the car. On Pete's side of the car, the trees are passing at normal speed. But on Don's <laughs> side, the trees are passing much faster. Nice. Uh, I think we've noticed this. I know like Justified has famously terrible uh, green screen. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that, that was also something that w- the Wiener did as a deliberate choice, too. Like it's kind of like green screen of the Almost 60s like, and 70s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, uh, is it trying to say anything? I mean, it's about not like airplane bad, than... but it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know the artificiality of everything. I don't know. I feel like it might be more just an homage to TV of the time or mm. movies of the time. Yeah. Uh, her point to second said it took me a few times rewatching, but Burt Peterson was brought up. That cannot be a coincidence. Roger tells Don he has to play golf with Furby Derby food because he can't. Burt Peterson is an account man, and Roger has fired him twice. I think it's foreshadowing that we're definitely going to see another Peterson meltdown. <laughs> also, golf bag and Pete, where is his rifle? I see foreshadowing of that rifle returning, too. Let's keep it in the golf bag. <laughs> rifle in the golf bag? Rifle in the golf bag. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's going to let the big dog eat. Maybe. is not Maybe. exactly a big dog, but... I seriously How, doubt it, but okay. I would love for Roger to get the hat trick. Yeah, the three fire Peterson hat trick. I would love it, but since he's working for a client, he would have to quit the client. Work for no, I I think Bert Peterson is working for McCann Erickson. Really, I think he's part of this. I think because didn't Pete get him a job at McCann Erickson? No, he's golfing with Derby Foods. And I, I and presume I think that Bert Peterson was meeting him there. I think the McCann guys are meeting them, and they're all going to go golfing hmm. with them. Okay, 
That's a like, weird. Like they have Nabisco, and then McCann Erickson is introducing them to a new client who they're going to take over. But it's kind of a conflict of interest because they already have this, like SC and P did. Mm. That that's I, how I read it. Usually, because it's like a, usually a golf foursome, and you kind of like matchy matchy. I know. Yeah, so it'd be like two clients and two accountants, so you can like mm-hmm. there's you can work them over like a speed bag. So it's like maybe they're having a double foursome. They're playing some kind of weird golf scramble thing. I don't know. Maybe. So I'm not totally sure about that, but I I thought I remembered Pete pulling some strings for Bert to get him a job at McCann. Hmm. Or is that, which means it's not nearly the coincidence that or is that what you Duck? Would think so? Is that something that Duck was discussing with Pete? Uh, He's man, like, it's been got... too long. I, I don't even yeah. know. All right, let's not let's just not make shit up. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> can't be making shit up at this point. Yeah. Uh, Anthony P said, "Here's a few fun facts." Uh, here, here's where you just, you, you missed your shot, uh, with the, uh, no, no ad execs or whatever I've written in. Hmm. Anthony P says, here's a few fun facts. I actually work at McCann Erickson in New York. Uh, Dr. Seuss worked for McCann shortly before becoming Dr. Seuss. And he's really? in, yeah, he sent in a couple co- cartoons that he did for advertising back Holy in the day. Shit. That's cool. And it is cool. It's like, uh, recognizably Seussian art and an advertising. It's huh. advertising a mosquito repellent. And these dudes that look like World War One era doughboys are in this like World War One era tank. Damn, and like giant mosquitoes, mosquitoes giant, flying around. Yes. Giant Seussian mosquitoes are coming in and it's like, quick, get out the flint. And it's, that's the pesticide or whatever it is. That's amazing. It is. It is amazing. Uh, Peggy reminds me a lot of a real-life woman who worked at McCann during the golden years of advertising. I don't know if the similarities are intentional. That's something we've wondered, because we've talked about this on and off, especially when the McCann-Erickson deal happened, mm-hmm. how much of Peggy's life kind of follows this woman. But he recaps it for us. The real-life woman was Nina uh, Sisa, I think is how you pronounce that. Sisa. Mm-hmm. Hell, if I know. In 94, she became one of the very first EVP or executive creative directors in the business while at McCann. In 98, she became chairman and chief creative officer of McCann. She retired in the early 2000s, or the aughts, as I like to call them. Wow. Uh, She actually wrote a book about her experiences as a woman in advertising in a pretty famous book, at least within the industry, called Seducing the Boys Club. Uh, lastly, McCann was an old stodgy and slumping agency when the wiener started writing the show. By the time I started in 2010, it was a graveyard. It was losing clients left and right over, by the way, pick up your pink slip, Anthony, (laughs) it's waiting for you at HR. Uh, Uh, (laughs) so by the time I started in 2010, it was a graveyard was losing clients left and right over the past five years. They injected tons of talent to the executives and worker B rank. Oh, Oh, there you go. I'm sensing a happy ending. They pulled it back around. They're good. The coolest thing that's happened since I started was the complete overhaul of the office space. It used to look like the worst kind of offices you've seen in Mad Men. Offices lined along windows and in endless rolls of cubicles. It looked a bit like the offices Neo worked in during the first Matrix. The offices today, jaw-dropping. And he sent in a link, Hmm. and they do indeed seem cool. A little bit bit too much... uh, uh, fake plant Amazon rainforest cafe uh, to some of it from my stands, but lots of uh, lots of Herman Miller Arions and okay uh, clean modern architecture. I, I would work the shit out of that office. Work the shit out of that office. Huh. Beats the shithole, windowless lawnmower, ravaged hell that is the Bald News <laughs> Studios for sure. Makes me want to. Throw these chairs down the stairs and it sounds to me like that's the end of feedback. Off. It's the end of feedback, yeah. I got okay. it trailed off there. 
Uh, cool. If you'd like to give us more, you can do so by sending it to madmen at baldmove.com. You can also participate in our forums where we have threads each week at forums.baldmove.com. Follow along a release schedule because when we release something on the website, it goes right to Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash baldmove or Twitter at baldmove. And that's it. That's it for this week. All right, cool. Of course, we'll be back next week, uh, next Tuesday, with another one of these things that we do so often uh, <laughs> called podcasts. Too often, some would say. <laughs> Maybe. Some would say that. But I wouldn't say that. So we'll see you next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.